What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow our socials on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, just before we get going, I want to uh, extend uh, another thank you to uh, Kyle Belanger for uh, coming on the pod last week on uh, Guest Friday. That was a great conversation. Uh, hopefully uh, you all enjoyed. Uh, looking forward to this week's guest. Um, I am bringing on my good friend Alex Mobosley. He will talk about, uh, or the two of us will talk about um, UFC fights uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Also was a fight night this past weekend, so we'll also talk about that as well. So uh, hopefully you folks enjoy that kind of looking to get a little bit out of my comfort zone with uh, some of these uh, guest Friday guests. So hopefully you all enjoy that interview that will uh, drop this week on Friday. So I'm looking forward to that. I uh, also would like to extend a welcome to uh, a lot of our new listeners have been noticing the last couple of days been getting a, a lot of downloads. So uh, for those of you that are you know listening for the first time, welcome, happy to have you. And uh, as always, you know, I was thinking about this this weekend that you know, anytime any one of you has, you know, questions or comments or, you know, really just anything, you know, don't hesitate to let me know. Uh, you know, Facebook, you can follow me on Twitter at the Sports Guy 97. You can always uh, shoot a DM, you know, there or Instagram or wherever you, you know, find this uh, podcast. I'm happy to, you know, listen to any suggestions or, you know, any questions. You know, I think, uh, in the past, we've done mailbag questions. I would like to, you know, do that in the near future. So, you know, as always, those uh, avenues are, are always open. So uh, that being said, we'll jump right into this week's podcast. We're going to talk uh, mostly Bruins today, you know, some Celtics as well. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, local stuff going on. So uh, this may be a shorter episode than uh you are used to, but, you know, that doesn't mean we're going to be short of any content at all. So we're going to start with uh, the Bruins and uh, take a look at how they've been playing recently. And uh, I'm not going to lie, you know, this is always a podcast that tries to, you know, uh, paint things in a positive light. You know, that's always kind of what I've liked to do on this podcast. But uh, it's not been exactly the best run of play that the Bruins have had recently. It's kind of um, the type of hockey that they had been playing prior to you know the start of the new year when they rattled off you know whatever wins in a row or whatever month of January that was. The Bruins were you know spectacular in that month. Um, it does though seem like the Bruins have come down to earth, uh, specifically in the scoring department. You know. If you remember, you know, all the way back, the Bruins, you know, out of the new year had, you know, 13 different goal scorers in their first three games out of the new year. And it was like, okay, you know, if this is the type of team that the Bruins need to be a game or a type of team where everyone gets on the score sheet, you know, and it's not just the top guys. And I think, you know, unfortunately, the offense has come back down to earth. Now, does that have a lot to do with the personnel? Personally, I think so. You know, the Bruins have obviously been without Brad Marchand for five games in a row. It will be six uh, today before the Bruins take on the Colorado Avalanche. 
you know, and then the Bruins were missing Patrice Bergeron for, you know, four games, came back last week, and the Bruins lost to the Islanders. Um, but it just seems like, you know, it's goal scoring that has been a huge problem for the Bruins recently. And, you know, it's not even just, you know, the guys that peppered in some goals at the beginning of the new year, you know, guys that you didn't expect. You know, it's guys like Taylor Holtz, guys like David Pasternak, who I think have been struggling recently. And I think, you know, not having someone like Brad Marchand in the lineup is becoming kind of an issue. Now, I know the Bruins have, you know, almost always been a team where it's like that next man up mentality that, okay, someone's out, but that means someone else needs to step up. And I think, you know, for the most part, Pasternak and Hall have been kind of the two main guys that you look at in this lineup where it's like, okay, you have to be the goal scorers. And they've not really been doing that. You know, Pasternak did get a huge OT goal on Saturday against Ottawa. You know, that was a game that as much as the Bruins are playing a, you know, Senators team that is, you know, not one of the best teams in the league, you know, they'll probably end up being one of the worst teams in the East. Um, the Bruins needed that win really badly. You know, when you look at how poorly they played in both the New York games earlier in the week, and then you got, you know, this game coming up today against Colorado, you know, arguably the best team in hockey. Well, I don't know if anyone would argue that out, honestly, but, you know, it was a game that you had to have. Um, and Hall and Pasternak, talking about them, they made a great play. You know, it was an outstanding overtime for the two of them, and they got together for the game-winning goal in a game that I think the Bruins really needed, you know, really needed to get a goal from someone like Pasternak, who I think really needs to kind of rediscover the type of player that he was in January. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of it is trying to get that continuity back. You know, Bergeron has been back in the lineup, which has been good to see. You know, Marchand will be back in the lineup uh, when the Bruins go on their road trip, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, it's a little troubling that the Bruins have, you know, kind of regressed back to the team that they were in the, you know, begin in the first couple months of the season, you know, and it's a team that had good, solid underlying analytic numbers on defense. You know, we're getting solid goaltending, but, you know, we're not able to put the puck in the net consistently you know, when a number of weeks ago, or maybe it was before the new year, when we looked at the Bruins, you know, analytics in terms of the expected goals for and then the actual goals for, um, you know, it's just kind of, you know, I don't want to say that it's, you know, puck luck, because I don't really think that's really what it is. But I mean, you, you look at some of the guys in the roster, like, you know, Craig Smith, who had a really good year last year, and you know, seem to come up with some timely goals in the playoffs. You've not really seen that from him this year. And I think, you know, does that lead the Bruins to believe that, okay, maybe they need to make a move at the trade deadline and try to get a scoring winger, you know, to add a top to the, you know, big needs that I think that they have right now um, in terms of the center and the defense, you know, do the Bruins look into something like that? You know, I think, it's like the, you have your top caliber guys, you know, the Martians, the Halls, the Pasternaks, you know, those are the guys that you expect to be, you know, your main goal scorers. But then you also need two or three other guys that can score goals when needed. And Craig Smith, you know, coming into the season, you know, should be a guy that falls into that category. And for whatever reason, 
he's just had a tough time this year. You know, I think DeBrusque, considering all the things that he's gotten through this year, also has been someone that's struggled a little bit. You know, he only has eight goals on the season. I know most of the time, you know, he's playing on that third line. But, you know, you look at someone like Charlie Coyle, he's had a pretty good season so far. Um, you know, obviously he's not playing third line center right now. You know, the Bruins are a little bit, you know, in a in a spot where they kind of don't have that consistent second line center, you know, thus the need at the trade deadline. And so, you know, the game that he has played has been good this season. You know, I think the expectation for him has been about like that he has performed up to expectations you know, as kind of that third line center. I know that, you know, technically right now he's playing second line minutes um, with Trent Frederick and, and uh, Craig Smith. But again, you know, you have Trent Frederick, who's not really a goal scorer. You have uh, Craig Smith, who's had trouble scoring this year. I think it's just a lot of, you know, you look at the needs of this team and, yeah, you know, I think that it's fair to, wonder about the you know drafting you know the questionable drafting the Bruins had many years ago and it's kind of you know creeping up to them right now that they don't really have a you know true proven goal scorer you know in in the in, in development or in Providence or you know a young player and it just seems like really what the Bruins have is you know proven goal scorers in the three guys that I just mentioned but then after that it's like you don't really know what you have so you know, the hope is Craig Smith starts to figure it out, you know, that he um, starts to try to figure it out and try to, you know, put pucks in the net, get more shots on goal. But, you know, the tough thing with Craig Smith is he is in his early 30s. And, you know, the tough thing with guys like that is they don't necessarily get better. And I think that it's kind of maybe a scary thought, but maybe Craig Smith, you know, has performed at his peak that that was last year and you know that's this is just the player that he is right now and I think you know it's kind of a a scary thought but I think for the Bruins to get back on track it just is simple as making simple plays you know putting pucks to the net not overpassing you know you saw that a couple times in the Rangers game on Tuesday you know Taylor Hall especially is passing up shots that he needs to take you know you're in a position where you only have, you know, two really proven goal scorers on this roster right now. And you can't, those guys can't be the guys that are, you know, passing the puck up. It's like those are the guys that need to shoot the puck and need to not overthink. And I don't know. It's just something that seemingly has plagued the Bruins for a couple of years, you know, and mainly this year. You know, you have really just the proven goal scorers, but you don't really have much else. You know, you have Bergeron at center who's had a great year. But that second line, you know, you really don't have someone that you really can trust for consistent offense. You know, the Bruins tried Eric Hall there, you know, and he played pretty well for a period with Pasternak and Hall. But, I mean, you can't expect him to do that over a long period of time. Um, and it just is unfortunate that, you know, Marchand's, Marchand's suspension has come at a really inopportune time. And that's the other part of, you know, the suspension thing that I think really frustrated me that, you know, you're putting your team at a serious disadvantage. And, you know, lo and behold, the five games Marshand has been out, the Bruins have had a lot of trouble scoring goals. You know, if you look at the total goals that they have scored in the five games that he has missed, 
zero goals against Carolina, two goals against Ottawa, one goal against the Rangers, one goal against the Islanders, and then three on Saturday. You know, it's just like, I understand that there are a lot of people that, you know, question the severity of the suspension. And I think that that's legitimate. But at the same time, it's like, you have to realize how important you are to the team and you cannot put the Department of Player Safety in your crosshairs. You just cannot afford to, you know, give them a reason to make an example out of you. And I think that that's the point. You know, people are trying to be like, oh, you know, well, if the the slew foot that he had was a shorter suspension, this would have been shorter. And, you know, you're probably right. You know, I think that the, you know, slew foot probably should have been two games at the max. I think three games was unnecessary. Um, but then it's like if you get suspended that many games, you do one more thing, and it's like it kind of doesn't matter what it is. You're going to get an example made out of you. And as much as people want to argue that slew foot in this incident now, it does make him a repeat offender again. So it's just like it just is, is so frustrating that, you know, Marshan decides to let his emotions get the best of him. And the Bruins have been awful at scoring goals recently. And it's just, you can't put yourself above the team. You can't put yourself in a situation where player safety is going to make an example out of you. So, you know, hopefully Marshan can get back. You know, I think it's a really important uh, road trip that the Bruins have going up. If we want to look ahead to the six-game road trip the Bruins have uh, following this matinee with the um, avalanche this afternoon at the garden so following colorado the bruins have road games in seattle on thursday uh, san jose on saturday the kings next monday and then the bruins will play anaheim next tuesday vegas next thursday and then they will close out the road trip with a road game in columbus um, on Saturday the 5th. So looking ahead to this, you know, this is these are six games that are not going to be easy. Not all of these teams are great teams. You know, I think that the Kings, the Ducks, and Vegas, you know, those are probably going to be your three most difficult games, you know, when you look at those three teams and how good they've been this year. Seattle is a team that I think you can beat, but you never know with these road games. I think We've seen time and time again over the last few years that the Bruins are a team that they have these road trips that I think often make or break the season that, you know, if the Bruins do very well on a road trip, it kind of tells you that, okay, this team is for real. If they don't do well, then it kind of tells you that, okay, the issues that they have are are pretty real, you know, and I know that we've spent the most majority of today talking about the goal scoring, but I also think that, you know, defense has had its moments where, it needs to be better. You know, the goaltending probably as well. Although Jeremy Swayman has played really well out of the all-star break. Um, but the thing with this road trip is you got to come up with timely goals. You know, this is a spot where the Bruins could make up some ground in the standings. You know, I'm trying not to sound too hopeful because you look at the teams that are ahead of them. You know, Toronto, Florida, Tampa Bay. I'm not figuring the Bruins are going to get into that top three, but... I think just playing at a good level on this road trip, I think the Bruins, for this to be considered a successful trip, they need to win four games. You know, And I don't think that that is 
you know, crazy. You know, I think you're coming into this road trip three games against teams that I think you should beat, three teams that are going to be tough. You know, if the Bruins can win four of these games, I feel pretty good about them going forward. Um, you know, and it might tell you, you know, where the Bruins kind of look in terms of the tra- in, in terms of trades. You know, do the Bruins look to make any moves prior to the deadline? You know, we're about a month out from the trade deadline right now, but, you know, does this road trip lead them to make decisions, you know, soon after? soon after this trip, you know, in terms of the type of player that they want to try to bring in. Um, But I think you go back to, you know, past road trips that have, you know, defined the season. I think that there's a distinct possibility that this road trip could define the season. You know, you have this stretch right now that you're in the middle of with 10 games or 10 road games um, out of your next 11. You know, Bruins have already played four road games have won two and have lost two. So I think that this, you know, upcoming West Coast trip is going to be huge. You know, it's it's hard to know with some of these teams, you know, San Jose specifically and L.A. and Anaheim. You know, those are three teams that you kind of don't know what you're going to get. You know, Seattle, I think, as poorly as they've played, that's always been, or no, not always been, but I think that looking at some of the games, it kind of has been, tough to play there. So I think the Bruins really need to, you know, start on time in these games and bury their chances, you know, stay out of their own zone as much as they can, get solid goaltending. And I think if the Bruins can do that, they should be able to do pretty well on this trip. And now I know that I said you have a couple tough games, but I don't think any of these games you look at and you're like, the Bruins have no chance to win these games. You know, I think that if the Bruins bring the required effort, there's no reason that they shouldn't be in all of these games. I'm not going to say that they're going to win every single game, but, you know, you have Marshan back, who I think undoubtedly is going to be highly, highly motivated. And I think that's something that the Bruins really need right now. You know, really need someone to come in and give their offense a jolt. And so I think look for that to be a key in the first two games when the Bruins are playing two pretty poor defensive teams. Very curious to see how the games go. Um, And then obviously, we're going to talk about the game today. Bruins and the Avalanche, 1 o'clock at the Garden. It's going to be a really good game. I think uh, as much as the Bruins are still without Marchand, their final game without without him, and you're playing a Colorado team who many would call the best team in the league, I think that this is a game that could be interesting. This is a game that I think the Bruins could have kind of a surprise performance. You know, you look at how well Jeremy Swayman has played as of late. He's getting the start today. Um, and I think, you know, you're looking at a team, a Bruins team, that I think as much as beating Ottawa is not anything to, you know, feel special about, the Bruins really needed to win that game. And I think that, you know, winning that game in the fashion that they did with Pasternak scoring the game winner and kind of hopefully getting off the schneid, you know, look for him to have a big game today. You know, I think uh, Colorado, they are very good defensively. They're very good with their defensemen kind of jumping into the offensive play. But I think sometimes they can be too aggressive. And I think for the Bruins to win today, they have to spend as much time in the attacking zone as they can. I know that sounds, you know, really simple and like, duh, obvious, but Colorado's a team where I think 
if you are moving the puck quickly, moving the puck efficiently in the offensive zone and you get them to play defense a lot of the time, you should be able to get some chances. So I like the Bruins' chances today. You know, I'm not going to say that I think they're going to win 4-1, to one, but I think the Bruins could, you know, play a pretty good game. And this is a Colorado team that the Bruins played very well against for about 50 minutes in Colorado a couple weeks ago. Now, I know they had Marchand in that game, but, you know, this is a team that I think the Bruins can match up well against. I'm curious to see, you know, if there's any kind of extracurricular stuff. There undoubtedly will because of, you know, the Taylor Hall, Nathan McKinnon thing that happened a couple weeks ago. But, you know, I think uh, Colorado, as Jared Bednar said, are focusing on the game, not focusing on Taylor Hall. But uh, don't be surprised if there's something that happens today. I think the Bruins need to be very aware of where they are on the ice at all times. You know, not going to say that expect like a cheap shot or anything like that, but I think that Colorado is going to look to try to, you know, assert themselves physically. So I think the Bruins really do need to be ready and do need to be, you know, starting on time, have their skating legs with them. Um, but this is going to be a good game this afternoon, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Swayman is getting the start, which I think is interesting. And I say that because, obviously, with now Tuka Rask out of the fold, uh, the Bruins have, you know, this 1A, 1B kind of share the net type of thing. And I think that there are a number of people that I think would like to see Olmark be kind of the main starter and, you know, that they don't want Swayman to get too much action. But I also think there's something to be said for playing the hot hand. Swayman has been the better goalie out of the All-Star break, and I don't really think it's close. Um, and so I think you want to ride the hot hand. And I also think as much as this game is important in a number of, diff- in a number of ways, it is also a Western Conference opponent, and I also think, like, I'm not going to say that this game doesn't matter because I think at this point in the season, every game kind of does matter. Every point does matter. But I think that this is a good opportunity to see what he's got. You know, how can he perform against an elite offensive team, you know, probably the best offensive team in the league? You know, how does he respond? You know, I think uh, – in, in hockey, really in any sport, you want to make the decisions that give yourself the best chance to win. And I think playing Swayman, you know, riding him, riding the hot hand gives you the best chance to win. And I know that that might, you know, some people may not want to see that, that they may not want Swayman to play too many games. But look, if the kid can handle it and he's playing well, then, you know, there's no reason to take the net away from him, so to speak. But I also think you have two pretty solid NHL caliber goalies right now and I think that you know you play whichever one is playing the best whichever one gives you the best chance to win so I'm curious to see how uh, Jeremy plays this afternoon you know this Colorado team that you got to be aware of where like a bunch of different guys are on the ice at all times you know someone like Ranton and someone like Landeskog Nathan McKinnon of course Um, you know Nachushkin Nazem Kadri, you know, is probably a top five MVP guy this year, I think. Maybe he doesn't win the award, but I think he'll definitely be uh, someone that gets plenty of votes for the for the Hart Trophy. So good opportunity for the Bruins today to uh, kind of build off of that win 
uh, in, in Ottawa Saturday night and, you know, give them some good feeling going into this uh, long road trip that could end up defining the season. So uh, one last little Bruins note, I thought it made sense to kind of expand on the trade deadline thoughts that I had. I think as much as I said, you know, talking about Craig Smith specifically, it'd be interesting to see if the Bruins do think that they need an upgrade, you know, on the wing. I kind of personally do think that they do need an upgrade, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what their thought process is there. And I think, you know, are there certain players that maybe become available for cheap at a certain point? You know, if there are players that, you know, maybe their value is not as high as the team thinks that it is, and the Bruins end up, you know, getting a, a winger for cheap. Marcus Johansson is a guy that I think you should look at um, in terms of making that addition. You know, someone who is going to be a free agent at the end of the year, you know, has experience playing here in Boston, played really well in 2019, if you remember. Um, and I think, you know, could come relatively cheap, you know, for a late-round draft pick. Or something like that. So I think that is something to kind of keep your eye on if the Bruins do make a move for a winger. Maybe they do something like that at the tail end of the deadline. The Bruins' main focus, though, at the deadline has to be a second-line center. I think that as much as maybe certain people would say, oh, you need a defenseman, I do think you do. But I do think at the same time, you've noticed how much this team has struggled, five-on-five specifically, with or without Brad Marchand. And I think that you need someone that's going to make you better at five on five. You know, the Bruins power play, it really doesn't need any fixing. You know, when the Bruins can put their full, you know, complement of players out on that power play, it's not really something you need to be worried about. But if the Bruins can bring in someone like Tomas Hurdle or JT Miller, I think that instantly makes you more dangerous five on five. And it gives you you know, a a true second-line center, someone who, you know, can play at a high level and can, you know, dish the puck to Taylor Hall, David Pasternak, whoever it is. Um, I think defense is kind of of another need, Um, but I kind of go back and forth as to whether the Bruins really need a true kind of top-four defenseman, you know, someone that can play top-pair minutes, or do the Bruins need someone who is kind of just there for depth. I tend to think that the Bruins kind of just need someone there for depth. You know, someone that can play good, solid defensively in their own end, can play with a little bit of an edge, can kill penalties, you know, not someone that you expect to be putting up a lot of points like Tory Krug, so to speak. But I think getting someone similar to the way that Kevin Miller plays, you know, not saying that the Bruins should go out and get Kevin Miller or someone exactly like him, but I think playing... Getting someone who's good, solid defensively in their own end can be good at killing penalties and blocking shots, but someone who can also play with kind of a physical edge. You know, Bruce Cassidy did say that the defensemen need to start playing more like, I'm not going to repeat the word on this broadcast, you kind of know what I'm talking about, but, you know, be guys that are tougher to play against in in the middle of the ice, you know, or in the middle of the slot, kind of like the dirty areas in front of the goal um, that the Bruins kind of need to play with a little bit more of an edge. So do the Bruins go that route? You know, I think that they should. 
you know, not to say that I'm going to sit here and be upset if they trade for, you know, someone like Hampus Lindholm or Jacob Chikrin, who I think are more geared towards kind of the offensive side. Um, but I think, you know, I can't really think of a defensive guy right now. Ryan Graves really is the only name that comes to mind as he's kind of a big body. He's a good, solid defensive defenseman who plays for the Devils. He has one year left on his contract. I think it's also the same thing for Lindholm. As far as Chikrin, you know, the, the, the thing with him is he's a young defenseman and is under contract for a number of years. So the Bruins could definitely use him now and then use him in the future. You know, those are three names that I'm kind of curious to keep an eye on defensively. Um, you know, as far as that winger, Johansson's a name that I thought about. You know, Phil Kessel is also a name that I think a lot of people in Bruins circles recently have mentioned as someone that Bruins could use to, to bring home. You know, obviously, he is making a lot of money, so the Bruins would probably need to eat some of that salary. But I think bringing in someone like Phil to put on that, you know, second or third line could really help you goal-scoring-wise. Um, and if you can bring in a second-line center as well. So I think... That's going to do it for the Bruins. Take a look at their schedule for the week. Colorado, obviously, today. And then they are in Seattle on Thursday night. And then in San Jose on Saturday. Both of those games start at 10 o'clock. So I think that we will move on to the Celtics. And yes, I know All-Star Weekend happens. So there's not a whole lot of Celtics stuff to get to. Specifically with... You know, the games that the Celtics are playing. Um, but there is a little bit. You know, Celtics played two games last week prior to the All-Star break, throttling the Sixers 135-87, to in which uh, that was probably the best game the Celtics have played all year. Uh, offense just, the, the offense just couldn't miss. Um, you had some bench players that got some good minutes, um, and the Celtics played at a really high level. You know, even without Marcus Smart and Rob Williams, the Celtics then came back to the Garden, losing to the Pistons the next night, 112-111. Uh, you know, this was a a tough loss. You know, Detroit's obviously not very good, but the Celtics, again, missing Marcus Smart and Rob Williams. I don't believe the Celtics expect either of those injuries to be long-term, so you should expect them to return when the Celtics return to play on Thursday against the Nets. But I think, you know, it's a game, unfortunately, that I think the Celtics may not have been totally ready to play. You know, they could have been looking ahead to the All-Star break and I think maybe did not take the Pistons seriously. Um, but I think also you look at the personnel the Celtics were missing and it had a lot to do with why the Pistons won that game. You know, the Pistons dominated the offensive glass and, you know, Rob Williams obviously was out of the game. He's one of the Celtics, if not their best rebounder. Um, and so I think that had a big deal um, to do with the outcome of that game. Jason Tatum obviously had a chance to win, missed the shot at the buzzer. Um, but I wouldn't think that this is something to get worried about. You know, the Celtics have been playing really efficiently offensively, have been playing really well, you know, nine straight wins prior to that loss. And I think that they have turned a corner. You know, I think that playing efficient offense and playing really good defense, you know, I think playing with the intensity and the 
effort level that you know you should you would have expected at the beginning of the year. Um, but I think as Jason Tatum said on JJ Reddick's podcast, the Celtics are kind of finally healthy. You know, you also heard that if you were watching an All Star game last night, he was interviewed by TNT during the game, um, and that was one of the things he said. You know, the Celtics are finally healthy and finally in a spot where. You know, you can roll out the same lineup night after night without guys missing games. You know, you've seen how well that starting five has has played um, throughout the course of the season, but especially now, you know, that the Celtics are healthy and those guys are playing at an elite level defensively. You know, I think offensively they'll get there, but I think that they're playing at such a great level defensively that they're able to kind of build off of that and play well on offense in addition to that. So... I think, you know, we'll touch on this in a little bit, but I think the Celtics, it's going to be interesting to see how they play these next few weeks um, and see how they build off of the nine wins in 10 games or, you know, nine in a row run that they had. How do they respond? You know, I think that in a way, as much as it was a bad loss to the Pistons, it may have actually been a blessing in disguise because now the Celtics can kind of refocus their game. They don't have to go back out of the break to be like, okay, we've won 10 straight games. Let's keep it going. You know, I think that a loss may have actually been good so that the Celtics can now turn their attention to getting another streak going and, you know, not have to keep trying to like live up to the level of playing well on at the, on the streak, if that makes sense. You know, I think that it's, Obviously, you want to win every game that you play. That's the goal. But I think that, you know, a loss like that kind of allows them to reset and allows them to be like, okay, let's get back to the way that we are playing. And hopefully the Celtics can get Smart and Rob Williams back on Thursday's game and the Celtics can kind of get back to the way that they were playing prior to the Detroit loss. So, you know, again, not a lot of recent stuff going on for the Celtics. Uh, We'll talk about their upcoming schedule in a little bit but I did want to touch on Jason Tatum Uh, he was on JJ Reddick's podcast the old man and the three Uh, it's a podcast that JJ has had for a few years now Um, and he's had you know NBA players I think Marcus Smart was on it maybe a couple of weeks ago Uh, Jason Tatum was on this past week and had a lot of really interesting things to say you know I think to reiterate you know talking about the health of the team that that's a lot of the reason why they've been playing well recently but you know also talking about his relationship with Jalen Brown you know some of the old Celtics teams some of the things that you know maybe didn't go well for them in the last couple of years um, I thought it was very interesting the comment that he had specifically about the uh, bubble playoffs um, in which the Celtics beat the Sixers I think in a sweep or five games or whatever that series was you know, play a really hard-fought series against the Raptors. Um, You know, Jason said that it was probably the toughest playoff series he's ever played in. You know, I think a lot of us, including myself, remember that series very well in which the Celtics and the Raptors played some really intense basketball. Celtics won in Game 7, you know, and then Jason talked about the fact that the Celtics kind of, in a way that that, in a way that series kind of, You know, they put so much effort into that, you know, playing the Heat in the next round was really difficult, you know, because the Celtics had played 
a grueling seven-game series and then go into a series against the Heat, you know, a team that I think defensively it's incredibly hard to defend a team like that. Um, and Jason talked about the fact that the Celtics, you know, started doing things out of character that, you know, blowing leads and things like that, you know, not to say that, oh, being tired is an excuse, but I think that the Celtics had played so hard and played so intense in that series against Toronto that they kind of ran out of gas in the Eastern Conference Final. Um, so I think that that part was very interesting. You know, also mentioned the 2019 team, you know, after Kyrie and Gordon Hayward had gotten hurt, you know, the year that they returned. And then obviously the playoffs before Jason, uh, Jalen, and Terry Rozier, you know, had played at a really high level. And I think that those three young guys kind of wanted more. But you also had two kind of veteran guys that kind of wanted to, you know, continue to kind of be that those guys. Um, and I think it just ended up being a combination that just didn't work. Um, so I thought that part was was very interesting. Obviously, you can listen to, to more of it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Then the other very interesting part I found was um, talking about Jalen Brown, you know, and talking about the folks out there that, you know, would like them to be split up you know, probably during the time the Celtics were not playing well earlier in the season. Um, and, you know, essentially talking about, you know, he and Jalen are still under 25 years old, as hard as that may be to believe. You know, they're still young players. They still haven't reached their prime yet. And I think, you know, Jason essentially said, you know, you have two stars that are under 25, you know, why wouldn't you want that? And I think that he makes a pretty good point. I think, uh, Obviously, I want the two of them together. I mean, I think I've made that pretty clear. Um, but Jason did also say that he and Jalen oftentimes, you know, will have conversations and ask each other, do they want to be here? And the answer is, you know, kind of an obvious yes, that they do want to play together. They do want to, you know, reach special heights together and are willing to push each other, you know, to get to that. And I just think it's just unfortunate, you know, more people don't have that belief that, Jalen and Jason can work together, and they have worked together. You know, Jason mentioned the conference finals that they've been to. Um, I just think on a personal note, I'm kind of was, I'm kind of, you know, tired of the people trying to say that they're not friendly with each other, you know, which is just blatantly false. You know, I don't know. It's just something that people feel the need to drive a wedge between the two of them. But anyway... It just was a really interesting inter interview. Jason had a lot to say about the, um, you know, all NBA voting that he may have been screwed screwed out of last year, um, you know, and then talking to JJ about their uh, different times at Duke. So very interesting interview. You can check that out on YouTube or, you know, anywhere you get your podcasts. So I think to kind of circle back to the Celtics as a team, I think the next few weeks, you know, as I said, are going to be huge to see how do the Celtics respond out of the All-Star break. The Celtics are starting a road trip out of the All-Star break. No, it's not six in a row like the Bruins, but uh, three games against Brooklyn, Detroit, and Indiana. Uh, Brooklyn, they will be in Brooklyn on Thursday. They will be in Detroit on Saturday. And then Indiana to play the Pacers on Sunday. So all three of those our road games, so it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics come out of it. You know, Brooklyn, obviously, has their own issues. 
you know, with Kyrie Irving still unable to play the home games and, you know, Kevin Durant still being out, you know, the Celtics do have an opportunity, you know, to come out with three games against teams that I think you should be able to beat fairly easily. Um, very curious to see Indiana and see how they play when the Celtics visit them, you know, after the trade for um, Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton when they traded uh, Zabonis. So I'm curious to see how that Indiana team looks. But three teams out of the break that I think the Celtics should be able to beat fairly easily. You know, I think the Nets are the Nets, and I think that they will have some talent. You know, Steph Curry, or uh, Seth Curry and Andre Drummond coming over in the trade for James Harden. Um, but obviously Kyrie is, you know, out for the home games. Kevin Durant's still out. Uh, ben Simmons, you know, I don't think will be playing anytime soon. I will expect that he will play at some point, but I don't think that that's going to happen, you know, by the time Thursday rolls around. Um, but I think that, you know, the Celtics kind of have to continue what they're doing. And, you know, unlike the Detroit game, they have to focus on what they're doing and focus on what they can do, you know, to be a good quality basketball team and not worry about the other team, whether they have a lot of guys out or whether they're a bad team. It really doesn't matter. The Celtics kind of need to continue to play at that at that high level, specifically offensively. Um, that I think, you know, to just continue to play at that level, continue to climb up the standings and, you know, stay out of that play-in, which I think is going to be really important for the team. Um, then the Celtics will come home. We'll have three games, Atlanta, Memphis, and Brooklyn. Memphis, that game will be very interesting. You know, John Morant has that team playing at a really high level. Uh, coming up also in a couple weeks, the Celtics and then Mavericks. Kevin Garnett's jersey will be retired after the game on March 13th. So I think, you know, these next few games are going to be huge. You know, I think the Celtics are one of the teams in the NBA that I think has one of the easier schedules to close out the season. But, you know, like I said, you have to focus on what you're doing, you know, and pay attention to what allows you to be a good basketball team and not paying attention to, you know, the things going on with the other teams. Just another Celtics note before we move on. Uh, the Celtics probably will be looking into uh, the buyout market. So, you know, players that are on probably bad teams or teams that don't want that player's contract on their team anymore. So, you know, the team then will eat a player's salary and then that player will become a free agent. You know, still kind of hard to know who is going to, you know, get bought out and picked up by a certain team. You know, I think Dragic may be getting picked up by the Bucks at some point. Um, but it'll be interesting to pay attention to that market, uh, see what the Celtics can do in getting, hopefully, you know, another shooter or two. I think the Celtics really need to kind of build around the type of offense that they're going to run, you know, with guys attacking the basket, guys who are good playmakers, kicking it out to guys that can knock down threes. You know, the Celtics do have a couple of guys that can do it, but I think getting even more to that, you know, could make them an even more dangerous team, you know, down the stretch and into the playoffs. So it's kind of hard to know which players will be available, but definitely uh, that will be something worth paying attention to um, as the Celtics, you know, <laughs> get ready for kind of the 
unofficial second half of the season, um, whatever you want to say. But, you know, three opponents coming up this week that I think the Celtics should relatively have no problem with, but it'll be interesting to see how they come out of the break. You know, do they continue to play at the level they were playing before, or do they kind of fall back and play some inconsistent basketball? I guess we'll see. Um, so that will probably do it for, you know, the local teams, you know, not really any Patriots news, you know, obviously no Red Sox news with the lockout still ongoing, you know, games have been, spring training games have been, have been canceled. So, you know, it's, uh, unfortunate that baseball has gotten to this point. You know, I think when we talked about the lockout starting, it was like, okay, if they can figure something out by the month of February, they should be fine. But you look at the calendar, February is almost done. So, you know, it's uh, not looking good for the start of the, for the start of the regular season, um, I will say. But if anything changes, we'll, you know, talk Red Sox, talk baseball. We'll get uh, Eric Bellier back on the show. I know he's itching to be uh, back on the pod, but we will uh, be with you guys the minute that the lockout is done. So uh, we will move on to talk about the NBA All-Star game that took place last night. Uh I just will say a really successful All-Star weekend. You know, I know that some of the events, um, <laughs> the slam dunk contest uh, was kind of uh, not really the best show that we've ever seen, but um, I thought that the the weekend in Cleveland was really tremendous. I thought that it was, you know, great pageantry, you know, obviously with the NBA 75 um or the you know 75th anniversary team that was announced um, at halftime of the All-Star game last night. That was really neat. Um, I have to say the NBA just just knows how to do things like that. They just have it down, you know, to a science just to bring together all the, the luminaries, all the superstars um, for All-Star weekend, you know, and other All-Star weekends, but also this one too. Um, so I think that was a really special um really special halftime to to watch with you know the 75 players being honored you know the the living players honored i think that that was or to see the living players was really really cool um and just makes you appreciate the the history of the game so i think that was tremendous i think that the uh rising stars was a tremendous um the, the new format I think was was a tremendous addition to the to the game you know made it interesting made it so it's not just a free-for-all of you know shooting threes and dunks um, you know target scores for uh, three of those games so they had four teams did a mini tournament first two games went to 50 then the final went to 25 so I thought that that was a really nice addition um, to that game by the NBA made that game or tournament, whatever you want to call it, made that really interesting. Um, skills competition was neat. I thought that new format made things pretty interesting with teams of three. Uh, the team Cavs ended up winning. It was pretty funny to see Giannis and his brothers uh, compete in that as well. Uh, the dunk contest, I think, left a lot to be desired. Obi Toppin ended up winning. Uh, made some good dunks. Maybe they didn't go down cleanly. I mean, I think that's the only reason why it kind of was like a... Eh. You didn't feel like it was a fantastic dunk contest, but, you know, hey, it's uh, it's one of those things that I think it's just, it's challenging because you've seen a lot of dunks that are, 
kind of the same. You know, it's hard to do kind of, it's hard to find that new creativity, but um, I think that the what needs to happen is you need to get stars back in the dunk contest. I think that, uh, you know, the young players, I think it's interesting but I think you got to get someone like John Morant in the dunk contest. You got to get someone like, you know, Zion if he's healthy. I think that, you know, you need to do something like that. You need to make that event back into a, you know, superstar event. And I know that, you know, there is a lot that goes into it, you know, guys not wanting to exert themselves too much um, and risk injury. But I just think it would make that contest a lot more interesting if they brought in, you know, the star players you know to do that so you know three-point contest was pretty cool carl anthony towns getting the win thought that was a really neat competition obviously that's always fun to watch um then the game last night a pretty tremendous finish lebron james hitting the game-winning shot as the uh, target score was 163 so he made the final shot to win it for his team 163 to 160 steph curry with 16 three-pointers uh, put up 50 points and earned all-star game MVP honors um, but just a tremendous weekend I thought Cleveland did a great job uh, hosting this event I think the event will be in Utah next year in Salt Lake City so that will be something to keep your eye on but I thought overall Cleveland did a, a tremendous job of hosting this game obviously LeBron made some headlines that the door is not completely closed for him returning to Cleveland. I thought that was pretty interesting. So Team LeBron, 163-160, getting the win. Uh, Jason Tatum scored eight points for Team Durant. So just some other NBA notes. Uh, Chris Paul will be out six to eight weeks with a thumb fracture. Um, he did play for maybe a minute or two in the game last night. Uh, pretty much used one hand. So... Um, that could be an issue for the Suns. I know that they've been an excellent team this season, but I think uh, losing Chris Paul for that period of time, you know, could have a negative impact on that team. But I think that they've always been a very well-coached team, and I think that there's no need to worry. But I think, you know, Chris, I think, has hurt that thumb before. So I think, you know, the Suns have to be very careful with this. Um, I think... Donovan Mitchell was unable to play in the All-Star game with an illness. Um, obviously, it was a little too late to name a replacement, unfortunately. Um, so I think take a look at the NBA standings at the All-Star break. Um, things have got very, very interesting in the East. It's just fascinating to see that the Celtics, you know, nine straight wins, nine wins out of ten have gotten them four and a half games out of first place in the Eastern Conference, uh, currently in the sixth spot. So the Heat and the Bulls are even atop the Eastern Conference at 38 and 21. And then you have the Sixers and the Cavs right behind them. Sixers in third, Cavs in fourth, um, and then the Bucks in fifth. All three of those teams, two and a half games back of first. And then the Celtics, obviously in the sixth spot, the team's in the play-in right now. Toronto at the 7, Brooklyn 8, Charlotte ninth, and then the Hawks at 10th, and then the Wizards are 11th, just one game back of the Hawks. In the Western Conference, the Suns lead the conference by 6.5 games over Golden State. Memphis is in 3rd, Utah in 4th, Dallas 5th, Denver in 6th, and then the play-in, Minnesota 7th, 
the Clippers 8th, the Lakers ninth, and the Trailblazers are 10th with the Spurs and the Pelicans just two games out of that spot. So, you know, very exciting to see the All-Star game. You know, I think it was a tremendous event, you know, kind of the unofficial halfway point of the season. I have to say the Cleveland Cavaliers are probably my surprise team of the first half of the season, uh, considering how well they have played specifically at home. Um, so a great event, great uh, showcase for them last night. So the NBA will be back in action on Thursday night. Celtics will play the Nets on TNT, and then the later game, Golden State and Portland. So I think we'll move on from the NBA and move on to the NHL. Take a look at some notes from around the league. Uh, Jack Eichel getting his first goal for Vegas last night in their win against the Sharks. Uh, the Oilers had had quite a run under their interim coach, uh, Jay Woodcroft. I think they had won five or six in a row. Uh, but the Wild end that streak with a win last night. Um, Andrew Hammond returned to the NHL for the first time since 2018. You may remember him as the, the Hamburglar, the uh, goaltender that played for uh, the Ottawa Senators and won like 18 or 19 straight starts. It was something crazy a number of years back, but he returned to the NHL last night playing for the Canadians and got the win. Um, and then you had a trade couple of days ago Nick Ritchie traded from the Maple Leafs or I should say Bruins legend Nick Ritchie no just kidding uh, traded to the Coyotes uh, from the Maple Leafs in exchange for Ryan Dezingle and Ilya Labushkin so the Maple Leafs getting some upgrade on defense um, bringing in Ryan Dezingle who's bounced around the league the last couple of years um just also another note, the NHL Stadium Series returns uh, next weekend. The Nashville Predators and Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning will play at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. So the outdoor games, you know, always something interesting to look forward to. Um, so that will be very cool. Uh, in terms of the NHL schedule for tonight, there are a couple games. Bruins obviously starting off the day with a 1 o'clock game against Colorado. And then there are four other games today. The Hurricanes played the Flyers at 3 o'clock, Winnipeg and Calgary at 4, and then Toronto, Montreal at 7, and Seattle and Vancouver at 10 o'clock. So we'll take a quick look at the standings before we move on. Bruins obviously still in that second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. They're eight points clear of Detroit. Just five points, though, behind Washington for that first wildcard spot. And the Bruins have three games in hand on Washington. So still a possibility that the Bruins could move up in that wildcard position. Um, in the Atlantic, Florida now leads the Eastern Conference with 75 points. So they are atop the Atlantic. Tampa Bay in second with 70 points. And then Toronto in third with 67 in the Metropolitan, Carolina is atop the division with 72 points, followed by Pittsburgh with 70, and then the Rangers with 69. In the Western Conference in the Central, Bruins playing the NHL leading Colorado Avalanche this afternoon. Abs are in first place in the Central, followed by Minnesota and St. Louis. Just a point separates those two teams. In the Pacific, Calgary is now catapulted to top of the Pacific with a nine-game winning streak. So they now have 64 points, Vegas with 62, um, and then the Oilers, thanks to their 
hot stretch of player now in third in the Pacific with 59 points uh, in the wild card positioning. Nashville is in first with 60 points, and then Los Angeles in the second spot, 59 points. Anaheim two points back of Los Angeles, and Dallas is three points back. So things are still pretty interesting out west in the NHL. So uh, we will take a look at a couple of more topics before we let you guys go um obviously today the time of at the time of recording we are uh, too early for the next um top 25 for men's basketball so uh thankfully there is something else we can talk about the ncaa um put out there i'm not sure what you would call it, the selection committee um gave its current top 16 teams less than a month out from Selection Sunday. So they've been doing this the last couple of years. So it's kind of just like a preview to see what the teams look like, you know, a month or so prior to um, Selection Sunday. So the top four teams, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, and Kansas, each of those teams, you know, number one seeds at the moment. Obviously, I think this will change because some teams on this list have had lost this weekend. Um, the two seeds, Baylor, Kentucky, Purdue, and Duke. The three seeds, Villanova, Texas Tech, Tennessee, and Illinois. And then the four seeds, Wisconsin, UCLA, Providence, and Texas. So I think that that will change Auburn. I know did lose this past week. This past weekend, they had previously been at number one for a while. Um, Kentucky, most likely, I think, will move into that one line as they had won this weekend as well. I think that there's a possibility Wisconsin could move up after their win against Michigan yesterday. Obviously, you may have noticed that there was a post-game scuffle involving uh, Jawan Howard and the Wisconsin coaching staff. Um, you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to give an opinion on that, but, you know, just unfortunate that, you know, emotions getting the best of people. It's not, you know, something that, that you want to see after a game like that. So, you know, curious to see if uh, Joel Howard faces any kind of uh, discipline for, for the actions after the game. But I also think, you know, there's definitely some blame that needs to be put on the Wisconsin coaching staff as well. You know, I don't think that this is a situation where it's just one person, you know, escalating something. So, be curious to see what comes from that. Before we let you guys go, we'll do a quick little recap of um, Olympic hockey. Obviously, the closing ceremonies for the Olympics were yesterday. Um, you know, kind of just a, a strange Olympics, if you will. You know, I think with, I don't know, just a lot of controversy, you know, not really sure about, you know, athletes and it being safe. You know, obviously no NHL players. So, you know, that just kind of was a strange Olympics, but we will give you a hockey update as uh, Team Canada did beat Team USA in the women's ice hockey final last week. 3-2 to two is the final score. Uh, tough loss for the U.S. Um, obviously, it was revealed after the game that um, Alex Cavallini, goaltender who played in the gold medal game, had been playing with a torn MCL. So, obviously, that brings a lot of questions into it as to, you know, why she was playing and why someone else hadn't played. You know, why wasn't there another goalie that was kind of brought to it? It was interesting. Um, Marissa and Jemmy wrote an article last week 
um, after the game about how the Team USA did not bring a taxi squad to the Olympics and um, had a couple of young players that didn't really see the ice much um, in that tournament. Um, you know, you can check check out that article as well. You can go look on uh, Marissa's Twitter. Um, it's a great article. I thought it was really interesting. So obviously Team Canada captures the gold with a 3-2 win over Team USA. Uh, Team USA did score with like 12 seconds to go, but, you know, obviously couldn't get another one. So Canada wins. Uh, just a tremendous game, a tremendous rivalry um, already. I think we've seen that millions of people have tuned in for that game. So a uh, tremendous opportunity um, and just a tremendous game for, for women's hockey as the, the game tries to tries to expand further. So um, obviously it sucks that one team had to lose, but I think that, you know, seeing those two teams again on the biggest stage, you know, is only a good thing uh, for women's hockey. So the uh, women in Finland won the bronze medal, um, and then the Finland men won gold in the um, ice hockey final, which was on Saturday. They beat the Russian Olympic Committee 2-1 to one in the gold medal game, and then Slovakia beat Sweden 4 nothing in the bronze medal game for the men. Um, so I think that probably is going to do it for, for this week's podcast. I know I said that it probably would be a little shorter as we didn't really have any Patriot stuff, but we'll obviously keep you updated with offseason and with, you know, free agency getting closer. The uh, franchise tag deadline comes up on March 8th. So I'm curious to see if the Patriots do that with anyone. So everyone, uh, thank you for, for tuning in this week. We'll uh, be with you guys later this week on Guest Friday. Alex Movosley joins the show. We'll talk about UFC. Very excited about that conversation. Um, as always, you can listen to our podcast on Spotify and Apple podcast and music. Um, you can, you know, drop a rating, drop a review, whatever you want to do there. Um, you can follow our socials on Facebook and on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter if you'd like at the sports guy 97 and uh, don't feel you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me on social media if you have any, you know, questions or suggestions for for the pod or just want to say hi. All right, everyone, have a good rest of your week. Enjoy the Bruins game this afternoon, and uh, we'll be back later this week.